Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 9. Somebody say, New Year, same God. Come on, say it again. New Year, same God. Amen. We're facing a new year, but we have the same God. What surprises will be ahead of us? We have no idea. This time last year, I said, get ready for what's coming. You guys are a witness to me because I have always been optimistic. Listen, I am always optimistic in my daily life and the way I perceive the world. I am an optimistic person because Jesus is in my heart. But I'm always pessimistic or leery of what sinners can do, okay? So I come into this world with caution, uh, this year with cautioned optimism. Is anybody else cautiously optimistic like me? Or are you always just kind of cautiously pessimistic? You know, I lean towards, like I said, joy in my heart, peace in my soul, and that God is good and that I believe things will always go up and up and get better. My kids will get better. My family's going to get better. But at the same time, I am cautious towards what sinners can do. Because in the Roman Empire, Christians were prospering until the Romans got jealous and started putting them as Roman candles to line up their city streets, literally impaling them and setting them on fire because they didn't want them around anymore. God allowed it to happen, and within 300 years, through the persecution of the Christians, the Roman Empire bowed its knee to Jesus Christ. If that's what God wants to do to win America is for it to get worse for Christians, I'm ready for that journey. I don't want that journey. Like if I'm getting to choose the journey where I'm impaled and lit with gasoline to light up Michigan Avenue or God brings revival to our government and city without us being impaled, which option am I picking? I'm picking the non-impaled version. Is everybody there with me? Right? Like I'm picking the version where I do not have to be brought to a concentration camp like they are in China and in North Korea right now. But if that's what it takes for God's judgment to wake up a nation, then like Jeremiah, I'm ready to face it in Jesus' name. So I am optimistic in my heart and soul, guarding that which God has entrusted, and I would encourage you to do the same, but I'm also cautious towards what sinners can do in our culture and society. So what I believe is the hope for the nation is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, the body of Christ, not necessarily a steeple and the people who meet there, but the church, us as people with out even walls throughout the city, wherever we are, that church is the answer to our society, and it's that church that Jesus is going to governmentally rule and reign from. When we hear about Christ coming back, who is he coming back with? His bride, his church, right? And who is he going to rule and reign with? His church, his bride. So all of us here, let's think about it. Whether you're a baker or a candlestick maker, in the kingdom of God, as it comes upon the earth, your main function will be to serve his kingdom. Now, think about bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven right now, and you got your assignment. Does everybody get it? When Jesus comes back, let's just start from here. How many believe Jesus is coming back? Okay, when he comes back, is he coming back as Casper the ghost or as a, as a person in the flesh with his full divinity, the God-man, and ruling as a king? Is he coming as Casper the ghost or is he coming as the God-man king? Okay, when he comes as the God-man king upon the earth, is the earth ethereal like we're floating in cotton candy? Or is the earth the actual physical earth right here that we're standing on? Okay, when we rule and reign, are we ruling and reigning from a virtual reality video game, The Matrix, or are we actually ruling and reigning literally with him in resurrected bodies like him for a thousand years over literal people? Okay, now you understand what I'm saying. 
When that happens, what are you doing? You have assignments upon the earth. Remember, Adam and Eve had assignments in the garden before the the fall. So work is not a four-letter word, and it's not a curse. The curse is work being hard with weeds and problems and bad customers and dishonest boss, etc. But work itself is a blessing that continues on in the kingdom of God. Now, I believe after a thousand-year reign, we do go into a different setting called the new heavens and new earth. That's what I personally believe. So I believe that there is a middle place between here and the new heavens and new earth, which does still have a representation of a physical place, but it does have a lot of ethereal attributes to it. But I do think we'll be on a concrete surface in a resurrected body eating certain things and whatever. But the thousand-year reign is the promise God made to Israel and to his disciples that he would show the earth and make a spectacle of the demonic powers that had fallen and rebelled against him while uh, ruling and reigning. So in other words, Jesus is not just satisfied with us going to heaven now. Like, okay, Satan tempted some of you guys, and now there's more going to hell than there was at the beginning with just the fallen angels. Now there's some humans going. So I'm going to make it all better and just take you out of the earth, and you just live up in heaven as naked little cherub angels, right? Have you ever seen the little naked cherub angels in Aguila or Grandma's house? What's wrong with Grandma? Why did Grandma have naked angels around there, okay? But yeah, naked cherub angels, and sometimes like they're at the water fountains, you know, just you know, doing that. But that's not what Jesus is doing. The, the point of heaven is until Jesus brings his kingdom down because he wants to have the last word. It's like, hey, I gave you guys the Garden of Eden. You followed the devil, messed it up, and some people went to hell. But I'm putting this thing back together, and I'm going to show you what it looks like. And so he's going to use his church to do that. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 9. In the Old Testament, he said this promise, and it applies to us. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before how many nations? All nations, thank you, on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. So let's get a context of why we're called Metro Praise International. If you'd leave the name up there, please. The reason why we're called Metro Praise International is to have a name that represents what I just shared with you, what is known as eschatology in the future. We believe that there will be a city of God on the earth that God will rule and reign from, and that city will be of renown. That city will be of joy. That city will have praise and honor to all the nations. So what's another name for a city? Metro, a metropolitan area. Metro, what is that city going to do? Praise God. To how many nations? All nations. What's another way of saying all nations? International. There you go. There's your name of the church you attend. Now, uh, it's nothing profound. It's just something simple and basic. It's a church that is looking towards the future, believing that literally all the body of Christ will rule and reign with Jesus from literal Jerusalem for a thousand years, representing his kingdom on earth. What are we doing now until that city comes from heaven as the bride of Christ, the Bible says, after the battle of Armageddon and the blood has washed away and the vultures have eaten the flesh of all the kings and the leaders, as the Bible says. What happens on that day? The city now comes and there's still nations that are left over. Read Jeremiah and they start 
start worshiping our God. And then now God says, Tina, you're in charge of Aurora. Be a king and a princess, a leader there. And then he says to Andre, Andre, I'm sending you to Puerto Vallarta. Be a governor, a king, a leader, right? And so he disperses his people across the nations and will Wi-Fi with Jerusalem. The 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones. How many believe there was actually 12 of them? Minus Judas, who takes his spot? I think it's Paul. They're there ruling and reigning with Christ. And if we have a question, beep, boop, beep, boop. Paul, Paul, man, Aurora, they're acting crazy right now. What do I do? Do I send down fire like Elijah? Or, you know, what do I do? Do I flood them like Noah? Do I just have a Sunday school class with them? And then Paul or Peter, one of the apostles, will guide us and give us wisdom as we're growing in wisdom. Because I just don't think, boop, we show up and we know everything. That takes the fun out of living. The fun of living is experiencing and growing and doing things. But there we are ruling and reigning with Christ. So we are now looking towards that Metro Praise International. That's who we are. We are a people forming a city for all nations to give praise to God. What are similar names by other churches? New Jerusalem would be a similar sister kind of name. So if you meet anybody that goes to a New Jerusalem church or something like that, they're kind of saying the same thing. If you go to any church that talks about reaching nations, international, they're saying pretty much the same thing. And then anyone who wants to praise God. Does anybody want to praise God? So we have brothers and sisters under different banners and names doing what God has called them to do. And by the way, it's not even in the Bible to name your church. We could just call ourselves the church at Chicago. But this is for, you know, 501c3s and signing up and doing all that. And some people have their own thoughts on whether we should do that. Some churches are just really cool. Like there's one on Irving Park that says, the place where the church meets. Have you guys seen that? It's like on Pulaski and uh, Irving Park. The church where, the place where the church meets. It's like, thank you for clarifying because they want to be so like biblical. We're not, the building is not the church. This is just a place where the church meets, you know. And then you got all the people who already stole the good, I don't say stole, but they already have the good names. Church of God in Christ. That's from the Bible, you know, Church of God in Christ. Have you ever read that before? You know, to the Church of God in Christ. So now they've copyrighted that. We technically can't use it, which is crazy is when churches uh, do lawsuits against each other. That happens, believe it or not. Your name is Mars Hill. I'm Mars Hill. You can't use that name. I'm taking you to court. That has actually happened with the church Mars Hill. Read about it. Pray for them and those kind of people who think like that. We don't care. People can use our name. People can use our logos. We're not here to uh, make that an issue. We want to stay focused on what we're here to do, a body of believers praising God and reaching the nations. Now, we need to have a vision. Somebody say a vision. Okay, thank you. So every year, most churches give a new vision. We've had our vision since the church first started. Thank you, my brother. Can you uh, go down here now, please? So everybody say, loving God and loving people. Our vision has not changed. We are the same as we were the day we started. By God's grace, and, and like I said, I shared a lot of this in the first service, and I just want to go in a little bit different of a direction here. By God's grace, we started this church, my wife and I, at the same, uh, with the same vision, the same strategy, and the same goal, and we have never veered from it. So it will not change until we uh, either die or uh, something happens, you know, like we get taken to heaven. But other than that, it's going to remain here. Now, I say to the younger people that are here, you don't have to do it the way we do it. So Hannah, if I die and you live to be 80 years old, you don't have to show up to church and be like, if connect, mentor, and send, don't forget it. It's what my daddy taught me. 
You know, we don't have to keep to the tradition alive. Here's what, this is what I say. God has given this vision specifically and strategy to us, and it's what I'm going to do until I die. So it's not like next year I'm going to show up and go, we got a different vision than loving God and loving people, you know, or we got a different strategy. Here it is. And then it comes out, you know, you know, it's like some new thing we introduce to everybody. Fireworks go off. No, this, this is it. So, so, our, so some of you who are new to the church, you're like, this is so cool. We're understanding where the name came from, the vision. Others are here and be like, this is the 14th time I've heard this on January 1st because you notice we're a little bit unique here, you know. We sometimes get, get called a cult for bad reasons. Then there's other times you can kind of be like, yeah, I see why you say that. Uh, we do start off every service with our announcement saying pretty much the exact same thing every week. Uh, but hey, the Catholics do that and you don't call them a cult, you know. Our mother, Mary, full of grace and you know, you know, whatever. No, they're not a cult, but we are because we simply remind everybody what we're here to do in church, you know. Because if you ask your neighbor, most times, you know, when they go to other churches, like, what are you here to do at church? I'm here to listen to the pastor. I'm here to sing songs to Jesus. Like, no, you're supposed to do more than just sing songs to Jesus and listen to the pastor. There has to be a goal here, you know. Could you imagine, like, you just showed up at your job, and they, and they just said, what we're just going to do here is just do some work and help some people do stuff, you know, like you showed up and just said, that's it, we're just going to do some stuff here to help some people, you know, like you're, you're working at Walmart or something, you're a manager there, just, just help some people around you. No, you need to have a goal, right? You need to have a focus. You need to have a vision. What is the point? Why am I showing up here? And so the church was given a vision long before vision statements and CEOs started making them cool things. Jesus said in Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and all your what? All your strength. Somebody say strength. Yes, love God with everything that you have. Now, how do we do that, okay? I just love God. I just love him. How much do you love him? This much. How many sometimes you meet Christians like that, and you're just like, okay, are you weird or what? Like, what do you do? I just love him. I hug him, I love him, I hug him, I love him. I feel like, uh, like the abominable snowman with, what is it, Daffy Duck? He's going to love him and hug him and touch him and take him everywhere with me. He's going to be my best friend. Is that what you want to do, George? You know, it's like sometimes we think of like just living for Jesus like he's our make-believe friend. I'm just going to love him and hug him and take him everywhere, take him with me everywhere I go. There are things that define the love of God. Go to John chapter 4, verse 23, please. Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. She's asking him, where should I worship God at? You know, there's a place to worship him here in my neighborhood. Also, I hear that Jerusalem is the hot spot for everything going down. And then he answers her back in John chapter 4, uh, verse 23. He says, I am telling you, and a time has come, and the time is even now, where you will not uh, worship here or there. You will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, because these are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. How do we love God? We worship Him. That's the way you love God. You worship Him. You sing songs to Him. You adore Him. You center your life around worship as a worshiper. How can I serve you, God, and do this unto you on my job, with my family, in my school? How can I do this for your glory, for your namesake, for your praise? The other way that we worship God is by obeying His commands. Go to John chapter 14, verse 15. Somebody say, it just got real. Come on, it got real. I love God. I love him. I love him. I love him. Do you love him enough to obey him? Well, sometimes. No, what did Jesus say? If you love me, 
Keep my commands. So how much do you love him? Well, I love him this much. The better answer is I love him enough to obey him. Because if you have a problem with God's commands, it's not a command issue, it's a heart issue. How many know I'm commanded not to commit adultery on my wife? But if I have an issue with that command, it's not the command's fault, it's my heart's fault. It's a heart issue. Why do I want to commit adultery? Why do I not find satisfaction in her? That's a heart issue. If I love my wife, think of Jesus saying, with all my heart, as I'm supposed to love him. If I love my wife with all my heart, then what do I have left over to give somebody? If you just ate Christmas dinner, do you still got room for Taco Bell? Here's some Taco Bell, dude. You're like, man, are you crazy? You want me to throw up all over the place right now? <laughs> Giving me Taco Bell after I just ate mama's cooking. What are you doing? Man, I don't want no Taco Bell right now. But that's, that's, that's the way the world is like. But if you're empty on the inside and you're hungry and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, what do you do? Taco Bell it is. And you know Latinos, you do it too. I have Latino friends. Like when I moved here, I'm like, there is no Latino ever going to a Taco Bell. That cannot be. You guys got the best food in Chicago. I came from Fort Wayne, Indiana, where all the kids, like the cool suburban kids went and got Mountain Dew and ate at Taco Bell, and that was our thing. You know, that was before Chipotle and all this other stuff, and organic lattes came out and all this weird stuff. You know, you had to check where everything came from. No, you went to Taco Bell. You didn't care where it came from. It just went down at 2 o'clock in the morning with, with glowing Mountain Dew. If it didn't glow, it wasn't good. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're going to turn into some type of an Avenger superhero or a mutant turtle after this because that thing is whatever it is, it just glows and it's weird and we're going to drink it and have fun. So I thought to myself, there is no way, just like there's no Italian ever going to Pizza Hut here in Chicago with the best pizza. There is no Latino going to Taco Bell. And I've seen Latinos walking around with Taco Bell. I'm almost just want to be like, where's your Latino card? I'm taking that from you. But no, what, it, what is it? What's, what's the reason? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. El Gordo's ain't open, baby. The taqueria, they gone. It's 2 in the morning. You have no choice, you know. Welcome to Taco Bell. I may take your order. Let me get one of those burritos where it kind of looks like going in the way it goes out. Let me just get one of those things. <laughs> Hand it to me, you know. Because it's, too, it's, it's convenient. It's what you want at that, and that's the same thing with sin. If you are full on the things of God, you literally look at Taco Bell when you're full, and you go, I do not want that. But if you are empty, and you are not serving God, and you are not full on the things of God, then sin is that thing you take to compromise because it's convenient. And that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is not here to satisfy all your pleasures and your whims like it's genie Jesus. There is a sacrifice we make to serve Christ, and we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. But the Bible says keeping his commands is for our good. So it is good to then wait to go home and eat something a little bit more responsible, have a bowl of cereal. Trust me, you'll feel better in the morning. Amen? And it's better for us to be disciplined. Somebody who works at Taco Bell is going to be mad at me. We love Taco Bell, okay? Just don't, you know, don't hate just understand we, we have some issues with talk about certain times, okay? But anyways, the, the idea is God satisfies, and when I stay satisfied, I will be happier. I will be more fulfilled, but I don't come to God as my genie. I come to him as my Lord, but he is good as a Lord to satisfy us. Amen? Amen. So we love God by worshiping, keeping his commands. Then he went on to say, to love your neighbor as yourself. And let's go back to the notes, please. What's the number one way that we can love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, we can love them by helping them in our times of need. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. 
First John chapter 3, verse 17 teaches us what to do as Christians. How many have ever heard the story as we're turning there to, uh, how many have ever heard Good Samaritan story? How many know about that? How many know that that's culturally upsetting to the people who are hearing it? That was, that was the wrong person to pick. It would be like Jesus having a bunch of slave owners around him being like, Jesus, we, we love you. We're going to serve you really good. And then Jesus looks at him and goes, yeah, you, you want to serve me? Yeah, we're going to serve you, Jesus. We're really smart, too. We're going to serve you. We're going to serve you, Jesus. We love people. And he's like, you love people? He's, they're like, yeah, we love everybody, Jesus. And then, and then Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story, Bubba. There was one of your kind a white dude walking there in Georgia, and he got beat up by a bunch of other white dudes and had his stuff stolen from him. And then one of the white preachers came up and said, ain't my job, and walked right by him. And then another white deacon came up and said, I ain't got time for this. And a white store owner said, hey, tough luck, and walked by. But then Kuta Kinte came, and Kuta Kinte took care of him. And Kuta Kinte took him to the, the hotel and said, take care of all of his needs. So you want to know who the hero of the story is? It's Kuta Kinte, you racist Oompa Loompa. That's exactly the equivalent of our Jesus. How many love our Jesus? A little bit more knowing that. Jesus takes the one that they're oppressing and says, I'm going to turn him into the story, uh, the hero of the story. The good Samaritan to them would be, literally be like saying the good Kutakinte to the white slave owner. It was a way of upsetting all of their cultural ideas because everybody's nice to the one who looks like them. Everybody's nice to the one who does something back for them, right? And Jesus is saying, no, I want to show you what really Christianity looks like. It's loving even your enemy." That the greater love is the transformational love, not the reciprocation love where you get, you give to get and give to get. That's why in our fight against injustice, if they are truly looking for justice, we don't teach them the ways of the world. We teach them the ways of the cross, which is you love your oppressor until they change. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, I will not allow anyone to bring me down so much that I hate them. So in our passive resistance, we are not accepting the oppressor's uh, uh, behavior. It is sin and it is wicked, but we are not going to stoop to their level to try to change them. We are going to become the conscience of the state and change them inside out. I still believe things like abortion need to be legitimately ruled as murder, but even if it was considered murder, we could not change the heart of the people just by legislating. So we do need to have righteous and just laws, but we also need to love our neighbor who is pro-choice to the point that they cannot deny the power of Christ in our love and that love transforms them as the good Samaritan did for the Jew, the oppressive kind that he helped. So there is true racial reconciliation in the Bible. There is true justice in the Bible. And we need to fight for all those who are oppressed. We need to fight for the unborn. We need to fight for racial discrimination, all of those things to end, uh, you know, and for, for there to be freedom and justice in our land. But we do it through the Christian per perception or the, or the Christian principle, rather, of loving even your enemy. Jesus said we ought to lay down, or, or John said, inspired by Jesus, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God abide in that person? Dear children, let us not just love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. If you need any of that community money, you let us know and we'll help you out today.
We will help meet your need. But understand this. We are not here to give handouts. We are here to give hand ups. Oftentimes I meet the homeless and I've ministered to them for many years, brought in many into my house by God's grace, have them stay with me. I've lived out the Bible. I understand what it takes. And I'm here to share with you that it takes accountability, not just a $20 in their cup as they're hobbling next to you. Trust me, I understand that we feel compassion and, 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 and just a true uh, you know, sense of love for them, but we have to teach the homeless how to be homeless no more. So what is the greatest thing you can teach the po? To be po no mo. Are you listening? That's really what you can do because just a fish gets them what? To come back to you to keep supplying them fishes. But if you teach them how to fish, you can change their life. So we will open up our community fund to you. And we're not here to be all up in your business, but we want to make sure that we're helping you get to the point where you don't always need help for your rent or your car to be fixed or clothes for your children because we want to mentor you and disciple you so that you'll be poor no more. That's a part of our charitable giving here. And then when, when we cannot do it personally, like maybe there's a single mom that's struggling, okay? Well, there's programs and agencies that we will become advocates for you and for your friends and family to make sure that they don't get lost in that program because you're still our responsibility. But I love how there's multiple programs that we can interact with because as long as America still has a conscience, we're going to use those things and not try to be the answer to every single problem. So I'm not going to try to start a... Uh, start a drug rehab today and a homeless shelter in a food kitchen because then we'll all go broke and have to live in the homeless shelter and then eat from the food kitchen. I want us to be sustainable in that which, what, which we do, and we teach uh, that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But let's say it's like a single mom. We come alongside the single mom. We give her the help that we can through our finances. We bring her to the programs that are watching the children. We do all of those things. That's what we were going to do in the building as well, offer daycare, right? Some of those things we may have. And then we make sure that she's getting the groceries and the provision, that she's getting the education. And then we teach her the discipleship of the church. And so, yeah, we gave three or $400 or 1000 to a rent, but it's the life change that came into that person's life that's sustainable. And so if you're asking us, why don't you just throw out the 100000 today, Joe, look, let's start the YMCA, the, the, all of those things I just mentioned, it's because it's not sustainable. And there are programs that have worked really hard to help people, and most of them are run by Christians, if not started by Christians. Like this one right behind us, like, knock, knock, Onward House started by Christians. I almost feel like going over there and say, uh, your founder appeared to me in a dream and said to get the keys back from you so that we could do this unto the glory of God. Because when we were using their parking and then they heard about us causing all the issues with COVID, they said, eh, 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 excuse me, this is the director of the Onward Health and I'm just writing you to let you know we're going to uh, just break our contract with you and no longer let you park here anymore. You know, and all of that. But it's like, would your founders have did that? No, your founders would have said, preach on preacher. So sometimes I feel like going to these places, you know, like YMCA and, be, you know, maybe getting one of these young men and going, hello, here's a young man Christian. He wants to associate here. Can he please have the keys? Uh, this is not meant to be, you know, transgender reading hour here. This is not just meant to be $10 for the gym membership here or whatever, or, you know, $10 swimming classes. This was meant for a young man who's a Christian to have an association here. Right? So we have to do these things again, sadly. As, as what the old-timers say, dig up the wells. We've got to dig back up the wells of the Salvation Army, the YMCA, all of these different agencies that started with the charitable heart to change the world. That's why I'm not against prosperity in the mega churches, but when it becomes a mega mess and you don't see the charity, you don't see the things, and you don't see it sustained, we have to question what happened. 
right? What happened? Why are we not, if we have, like in America, more than we've ever had in some of these churches. I mean, they're amazing, right? They're great. They're big. They're all of this. But there's not a food bank. There's, there's not a homeless shelter. All these, what, what are, what's going on? The church is one of the most underutilized facilities in the entire professional industry. Think about it. you got some of these churches, 30,000 square feet, and they use it twice a week for four hours. Okay, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Let's use it the other 100 and some hours of the week, right? It's not like we're a football stadium be like, well, we can only do it when we're entertaining you. Other than that, unless Justin Bieber comes to town, it's just a stadium sitting empty. We don't think like that, do we? We need to put everything to the cause of Christ. It's okay if chairs get stained because children are sitting on them. Let's clean up the stain. It's okay, it's okay if the, uh, the carpet gets used. We're going to replace the carpet. But we're here to be a battleship for Jesus. This is not a museum, amen? This is a soul-saving enterprise. We are supposed to put everything to work for Jesus. Let's get more, we'll get more vans. I remember going to a church. I mean, I would just preach about preachers. Can I preach about preachers? I remember going to a church, and God bless this youth leader. This youth leader had one of those water jugs that you would put in your office. You know how you flip it upside down, the big, you know, the, you know, the thing right there, the big thing, you know what I'm talking about? Part comedian today, I guess. I'm just having fun with everybody. But blah, blah, blah. that was the thing that he had. And just God bless his precious heart. God bless him. He had like little $20 in there saving up for the van ministry, uh, for the van ministry, okay? So I was working at this church, and I go to the pastor, and I'm like, um, one of the first things you did was tell me the budget of this church and all the things that we had. We're over a million dollars. We have hundreds of thousands in saving. Did you know that there was a youth leader here uh, saving up money for a church van? Did, did you know that? I'm like, uh, I think a church van would be good for the church, okay? I think that would be good. Literally, they had to make a report, had to come out, you know, submit all of these things. And, and you have to remember, I started my first church at 22 and pastored for a while in New Orleans, and then I went to youth pastoring back to, back to this church. So I was like, okay, I'll make the report, but it's not really that complicated to understand. Uh, here's a van. Here's people getting in a van. Here's a van driver driving the van to church. That's what we'll do with the van, and then that's the purpose. Uh, we want the van so that the van can, I'm literally making the report so we can bring people to the church. And then I submitted to him. It got denied. The church van got tonight, so this is what we did. I know some of you are going to want to know this church. Don't come asking, okay? But if you take me to Red Lobster, you make, make me feel special, and then you slip it in there, I might, I might, I might tell you. It's got to be Red Lobster, though. It's got to be Red Lobster. So I'm working at this church, and then I'm like, okay, you know that this is how it's going to work. And then they're like, okay, you can't do it. So I'm like, youth leader so-and-so, you're picking up this person. Youth leader so-and-so, my wife is here. Am I telling the truth? You're picking up so-and-so. Then you know what the board came back and told me? You better stop picking them up. I'm telling you the truth, God honest truth. They said, stop picking them up. Our kids don't belong around those kids. That's exactly what it was. Sad but true. You can ask anybody. You can have me on record. It's live. I will talk about this in front of that pastor there. I promise to God. That's what it was. We don't want them there. Stop picking them up. They're causing too many problems. I then resigned that day. 
I, I didn't resign the right way, by the way. I kind of did one of those, these boots were made for walking. I'm super spiritual, and I'm going to tell you how spiritual I am and how you're not, but I did resign. And Metro Praise came out of the heart to go back to what was important to us. And that's why they may not be the, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of southern accents today. They may not be the prettiest vans back there, but they are vans. Amen. And they're picking up folks coming to church. Amen. So if you want to keep seeing those things happen, we have to go where the people are at. And then, I mean, just the church van was awesome, but then it was like, let's get a church truck and let's have the side go out and then we could have a stage everywhere we go and we can really make the devil mad and Jesus glad. So we, a couple years ago, we gave to that and the people gave, you know. All of these things have been of what you guys have done. We have never charged for anything. Everything that we do is always F-R-E-E free from the rock climbing walls to the bouncy houses to the Boricua Fest at Humble Park, to the gospel truck going around the city, to all the different mission work that we've done. Let's keep laying down our lives and helping people. Amen? And then how else do we love them? Loving God and loving people, we preach the gospel to them. Go to the book of Mark, chapter 16, the last part of Mark. It's the great commission of Mark. We believe that Jesus probably repeated himself like any good preacher. He has a great commission in the book of Matthew. He has one in Mark. He has one in Luke and John. And, and uh, let's go to that one in Mark. Mark chapter 16, at the end. It says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, verse 19, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. The disciples went out and preached where? Where? One more time. Where? Everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the sign that followed. So let's go back to the notes. We are Metro Praise, a city giving praise to God for all the nations. Our vision is loving God and loving people. How do we love God? By worshiping him, obeying his commands. How are we loving people? By helping them in their times of need and preaching the gospel to them. Romans 1.16 as well. It's the power of God unto salvation. You can go to hell with a free meal in your belly. You can go to hell with a grocery box, right? So we don't just give out medical supplies and grocery boxes and all that. We give the gospel. And sometimes now, you know, you have whatever you call this, like the hipster charitable giving person that says, we don't want Franklin Graham here because Franklin Graham is going to preach to us. We don't, we don't want any help unless it's totally non-religious. Okay, Franklin, send it to the Philippines then. You understand? I'm sick and tired of people telling us now in America that was founded on Christian charity. You don't like it. Okay, I'll find another nation, another neighborhood that does. There was one group of black people that didn't give a rip about BLM and what we had to do with it. You know what it was? It was the West Side because we went back to the West Side handing out pizzas and food, doing all that. And I was waiting for the first brick to be thrown. I was waiting for the first Antifa thing to show up. And everybody just came, thank you very much. So glad to get the food here today. It was as if that nothing had happened with BLM. People shaking our hands, babies getting prayed for. You know why? Because people who are in need and understand what the gospel is about don't care if you're a Christian helping them. It's just you being honest, isn't it? We are Christians. I don't help you based on you becoming a Christian. Now, that is not what we do. Sometimes the Muslims get jelly, and they say, you're converting all of our people because you're helping them, and then you're forcing them to be Christians. Number one, we're helping them while you're killing them. That's your fault, not ours. But number two, no good Christian missions, none that we've ever supported or have heard about, have ever forced people to become Christian to receive Christian charity. 
You do not need to be a Christian to receive Christian charity. How many can say amen to that? And I'm sure many of you know Christian charities, but that is never a prerequisite. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle is, who you are, what's going on. We will always help you. We will always serve you. We will love you. We weren't checking out their Christian belief when we were giving out boxes of groceries the other day or the last time we were in Ohio Park, etc., or wherever we're going. We're doing it unto the glory of God. And what's funny about that is people know. You know, those sassy hipsters, they're just trying to be cool, but they really know because we would go to uh, Taft High School, and there was a lot of sassy people out there that would come on the mic and argue with us. But then, you know, we did the pizza party, and they were kind of like that, you know, like that little stray cat that kind of like looked over. (laughs) Meow. Is that for me? And then they would scurry off. And then they would come back and be like, yeah, it's for you. And they would just do their little, little sheepful thing, you know, little sheepish thing. But then all of a sudden, like, you know, come to the little bowl of milk, you know. All of a sudden, these little teenagers start coming over. Well, I guess, I guess I'll just take a piece, you know. Because they know we love them. The same one that was like, you hate us. You guys are hate mongers. Thanks for bringing the little Caesars today. Appreciate it. Am I telling the truth here? Come on, you know I'm telling the truth. Because even though they want to make that an argument, it's not one they can back up. Christians at the end of the day are the ones still showing up and helping fix the problems of the world. And like I said, with the New York situation, that was the last time I was referring to with Franklin Graham. If they don't want Franklin Graham in Times Square, which first of all, there's a lot of Christians in need that do want Franklin Graham. And by the way, if you want to have the Muslim tent there too, I don't care. If a Muslim wants to do more charity, what is that bothering, right? I mean, this is, this is the weirdest people. Like they, 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 they say, you know, uh, there's so much corruption in the state and all of that, and now that the state wants to inject them with, with uh, you know, a vaccine, they're like, you can trust the state, you know? Like, how do you know when to trust or not trust? It doesn't seem like you're really figuring this out very well, you know? And so they pick and choose their battles, don't they? But we know as Christians, we don't care about a Muslim doing the thing. Like, that's why I always think to myself, would I mind in my neighborhood if a Muslim, for their outreach, went to my park and was handing out free food in the name of Islam? I would not mind at all. Now, some Christians would, and they would say, God bless America, you don't belong here. You know, and then that makes us all look stupid, and then we have to say, that's a sinner, I'm not one of them, right? So please don't make us have to deny you for that. We'll never deny you if you're preaching the gospel, but if you're stupid racism and whatever, we're going to deny that, okay? But like for me, if I saw a Muslim out there going, hey, it's free falafels, come on out, we're talking about Muhammad, I'd be like, great, I love falafels, let me just, mm, let me just you know, eat this. Let you know Muhammad is a false prophet. You've been deceived. You've been deceived. But this, this right here, this shawarma, you got this right. This, this hummus, you got this right right here. But, but I'm going to help you understand that. And that's why, seriously, I have no problem. They come with the hijab. They're eating our food, and they're like, well, I believe in Muhammad. Okay, that's great. Eat the hot dog. Enjoy it. And we're going to help you get saved. Get right. Discipleship strategy. So I started off in ministry with an associate degree. By God's grace, went to another school, got a bachelor's degree, got a master's degree, then at a different school, and then at another school, got a doctorate by God's grace. All of that time was while the church was growing, and what we wanted to do was to have the materials. So when we first started the church, while I was getting my bachelor's degree, I was using other people's materials, and then I realized that I had a lot of people coming in and out of the church, and I couldn't afford buying their books to give them away, you know, because how many know Christian books can get expensive sometimes, right? So I called them up, and I said, hey, I got a bunch of people coming through my small church that kind of use the books. They don't. I never really get them back, so I have to keep buying new ones to do the discipleship. Can I 
photocopy your books, then I can just give them a lesson. Hey, guys, let's just go through lesson one together. You know, if I don't see you again, that's not a big deal. They said, our books are copywritten, can't do it. So what was meant to be evil or against me, you know, to discourage me, I said, well, I guess that's what I'm getting education for, man. So I wrote those books. By God's grace. Do I think they're the greatest selling book or the greatest book in the whole world? No, but I think they work. They're effective. So we call it Connect, Mentor, Send. How do we connect you? First, to Jesus and the cross through our services and life groups. We're going to evangelize out in the world, but we don't really con consider you connected to the church until you're coming to the Sunday into a life group. So here's where you're at. Right, if you're here, if you're only coming Sunday, now come to a life group and get connected. Number two, mentor. When we talk about mentoring, we're looking at the the Great Commission. I have different qualifications of this, but for the sake of time, I'll just summarize. We're looking at the reciprocal nature of how Jesus made it. Disciples, go make disciples. Okay, so reach one to teach one to reach one. The idea is touch heaven and change earth. Reach up, reach in, reach out. These are things that have existed long before me and will exist long after me, but we in our church, we just gathered this together, put it in writing so that we could keep forwarding the discipleship. And how do we look at it? We look at it in two phases, one-on-one and two the first one is done with someone of the same gender and with a book that kind of goes through the basic things of praying, reading your Bible, you know, being holy. We believe in spiritual gifts, so we want you to understand that. And then the 201 is like a Bible class. You memorize scriptures. You are accountable for reading the whole Bible and all of these things. It may take you about a year or two to do it, but it's important to us because we've seen enough mega messes. We now want to see God do what only he can do. If I just looked at the majority of the church world, I would see a inch wide, uh, an inch deep and a mile wide. Am I alone in that? Because they don't want to go into depth. Going into depth takes time. Now, if we wanted to do this church differently, everybody just think about it. Do we have a good band? Okay, yeah. Do we have a somewhat good speaker on Sunday? Yes. Do we have programs? Yes. Well, let's just go to 2000 then. Let's have Sunday. Let's have worship. Let's preach. Let's just do some programs. Let's not get in your business. Let's not do discipleship. Let's not implement the accountability of Christianity. Would the church grow faster than it does now? It probably would. But what would we have? We would have a church of spiritual babes instead of spiritual soldiers. Now, if you're going to go fight a war, do you want to go to the nursery to recruit, or do you want to bring the Marines or the Navy SEALs? That's why when I'm looking at, uh, you know, Christians being interviewed like Joe Losa and these guys, I'm like, you just went to the nursery and interviewed the baby. You know, he's the baby. Well, I don't know if anyone goes to hell. I'm like, man, interview me. I will Leonidas 300 this thing. This is Jesus. This is the word of God, Larry King, Trevor Noah. Ask me some of those questions. Please just serve up that softball. Please. Boo. Who goes to heaven? Who goes to hell? Bible says unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Well, what about the Muslims and all these other religions? Boo. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Him. Why do you guys think you're better than everybody else? No, I'm just a sinner saved by grace called to make disciples of the nations. I believe in this. We should believe in this. We should teach it. We shouldn't be confused. We shouldn't try to participate in the buffet of spiritual religion with all these other gurus. We should stick with what we know is true.
It's not like if I handed to you the cure, a real cure to COVID or a real cure to AIDS or something, and you're like, yeah, but how can I change this up? No, you would be like, good, it works. Let's get it done. It's not like, okay, we got Jesus. Let's see how we can add some Buddha to this. No, the Bible says that we will find all that we need in Christ. We don't need to add any other religious leader, though there may be other truths there or truths like loving your neighbor. Like I'm glad Buddha didn't say eat your neighbor, okay? There were some tribal religions that did say eat your neighbor, okay? Like, I'm glad a Buddha didn't say sacrifice your children. There were religions that did that, right? So, yeah, there may be a truth here or a truth there, but Jesus says he is the truth. And these are der- divisions and um, derivations, I believe is the word, from the truth. So let's be disciples. Let's go through the 101, 201, and then repeat that process. And then lastly, somebody say, Hayunkin, we're going to send you out like a ball of fire. I want to send out fireballs into this nation and to the nations of the world. Amen? Does anybody else want to be sent to change the world? Praise God. Not for a building's sake and namesake, but for Jesus' sake. I want to be able to drop you guys, you know, into your neighborhoods and to your jobs, and there just be something different about you. You start leading Bible studies during the lunch break. You start bringing people over to your house doing, you know, small groups. You start doing community outreaches, and they say, man, what's gotten into you? And you say, it's the Holy Ghost. He's gotten in, and he can't stay in. He's got to come out of me. Amen? That we will be so heavenly-minded that we'll change the earth for good. We believe that there is a sending out. How do we get sent out? We see the Lord. It's all about Jesus. We're not doing this for Amway. We're not doing this to impress people. We see the harvest. Jesus said the harvest is ripe, the labor ripe, the laborers are few. We're, we're doing the work of the Lord. We see the need. There are things that God has called us to do. Jerry is learning sign language to help with deaf ministry. There are others here that are helping with children with special needs, autism, and you know, the different learning disabilities in the church. That's happening you know, underneath the surface. There are so many with hearts that want to reach people. We need to continue doing that. Single moms reaching out to marriage, marriages. All of these things mostly are happening around us in our life groups and they're not being announced every Sunday because we wouldn't have time to announce everything. That's why we say get in a life group, find a ministry, start serving, develop those things. You know, we don't say no to those things here in other words. And this is another story, another story. I was involved in a meeting one time at the church that I worked at. So just imagine me showing up. I'm like, pastor, what's up? What's up? What's going on? Here I am. And there's another brother there. And uh, the pastor goes, he's doing a Bible study. And I'm like, cool. Cool Bible study. Good. What's going on? He's like, good. My Bible study is good. Pastor goes, I don't think he's called to do the Bible study. And I go, okay. It's going to be one of those meetings. Uh, all right. Why isn't he called? Well, I just, you know, I went and visited it, and I didn't think it was very effective. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm like, so what are we going to do? We're going to shut it down. And I'm looking at, I'm on tears in my eyes right now, and I go, we're going to shut it down. We're not going to help him. We're not going to teach. I'm like, is the guy in sin? Is he in sin? That guy was married, had a Bible college degree. God is my witness. God as my witness. Married, Bible college degree. And I'm sitting here, and I'm going, okay, so we're shutting it down. Yeah, we're going to shut it down. I just want you to pray for him, bless him, keep an eye on him, kind of encourage him. I'm like, that's going to be awfully hard after this, but I'll give it a shot. So, Lord, bless him, send him back to his pew. Uh, to do good things for you, Jesus. Amen. That brother left the church. I saw that brother a few years ago, and I saw him last summer, and my wife is right here. I can't look at him without apologizing. 
Did I not apologize to him again? He's now a principal of a Christian school. I looked at him and I go, brother, I was a young man in the Lord. I did not know how to speak up at those times. I was serving my pastor. Because a lot of you guys think, man, you must have been a real joy to work for, uh, have under, you know, uh, how am I trying to say? You might say, Joe, it might have been a real joy to have somebody be your boss. That's what I'm trying to say, isn't it? I get paid to talk for a living. This is the problems that I have. Joe, it was a real joy to be your, it must have been a real joy to be your boss is what I'm trying to say. Let's edit that out. No, it really was, it wasn't hard. I would serve. So I had to look at this gentleman and say, man, I am so sorry that I did that. I was in another meeting, God is my witness, with another brother. And the brother is sitting here telling me he wanted to do the JBQ like we do here. And the pastor was shutting it down. And the brother had did it for like 14 years. And I am sitting with this brother. He's like old enough to be my dad. And I'm having to put the ax to this with the pastor. I'm like, we're shutting down the children's Bible study and the teenage Bible study. I don't know what we're replacing it with. Certainly never did replace it with anything like it. But I've been in meetings like that. As God is my witness, that will never happen here. The only thing we're going to shut down is your sin, okay? You're touching people. You're messing around. We're going to be like, we're shutting that down. You get that right or you get out. But if you come to us and you're like, I want to help somebody. I want to have a Bible study in my house. Go have a Bible study in your house, please. You don't need our permission to become an official Metro Praise Bible study. We want you to go through the training. But please do Bible studies. Kids, start, children, start school clubs. Reach out to the different communities in your neighborhood. Figure out what you can do. And we'll get behind you. As a matter of fact, Lawrence, before he even started doing a lot of what he did, was just helping out in the, high, uh, the college doing his worship nights. And I said, brother, we're going to pay for you to have some pizza when the college kids come because, you know, if you feed them, they're going to come and stay longer. And we just get behind it. May God always keep that in our heart. May we not think we're better than anybody else, but may we serve the Lord. And those churches that were raised that way, they were so... Um, and to their, you know, kind of give them credit here, not just to, you know, make them look bad, but they were so concerned about someone always saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing that they had almost developed a click mentality, and they didn't have a way to train them. So it was like, we don't feel comfortable with you for whatever reason these you know, ministries, we're not comfortable with the pastor, but instead of giving them an alternative, like, hey, we're going to train you, we're going to do it better, it was just easier for them to shut it down. Let's not do that anymore, amen? And then lastly, the goal. Vinny, would you come, please? So while we were praying about starting the church, I felt in my heart that I needed to get in line with what God would want us to do. What would he want to, you know, me give my life to? Have you guys ever seen pictures of me back when I used to not have gray hair? Okay, so let me tell you where that gray hair came from. One or two from you. Three or four from Billy right here. Uh, not you guys in the back. Joe B, definitely. A lot of, this is your fault. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Jessica, just maybe a little on my chin, just right here, just this little one. No, I'm kidding. But I used to be young. I used to be young. So I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, 28 years old, starting a church with my fiance, soon to be my wife, you know. What do you want me to give my life to? And I felt the Lord bring the scripture in that is a messianic promise. This is the promise that the Father says to Jesus. The Father says to him, ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Old Testament messianic prophecy. What did we hear in Matthew chapter 28? 
Go and make disciples of what? All the nations. The Father granted the Son that request. But who implements it? Point to yourself and say, that's me. Think about it. The Father says, come on, Son. Ask me, and I'm giving you Bolivia. I'm giving you Uruguay. I'm giving you Ecuador. Ask of me, and I'm giving you Chile. I'm giving you Argentina. I'm giving you China, Singapore, Malaysia. Right? God says to his son, ask of me. Ask of me for Syria. Ask for Afghanistan, Pakistan. Ask of me for these nations, son, and I will give them to you. And then Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of the nations have now been given to our Jesus. We are to now go and make disciples of them. We are to go and give them that message of the gospel. And so in prayer, I just felt the Lord say, let's build the first 100,000 person church in the nation. We've had churches like Andy Stanley and Joel Osteen up upwards of 40,000, but there's never been a church of 100,000. This is the goal. There are churches of over 100,000 in India, in uh, South Korea, in China, and these churches are all built upon these principles of discipleship. So in our nation, the largest churches are generally categorized as seeker-sensitive, but the largest churches outside of America, like in China, are discipleship-based churches. The Church of South Korea, discipleship-based, right? So we're going to follow their pattern and the pattern of the Lord. Even those in America who came before us, John Wesley, by God's grace, made over 100,000 disciples. That's why they were called Methodists, because they were methodical in their strategy. They weren't going to compromise. They wanted to see the nations change, and they actually changed an entire nation, developed a Bible belt that we're still talking about today. It can happen again if we all serve Jesus and do our part. Ending here, think about it with the, the slide up there, please. It starts with the heart. The heart is, I'm going to love God and love people. No matter who comes, who doesn't comes, come, it doesn't matter. I'm serving God for these purposes. But I do have a heart to see more happen. And we start to connect through our life groups and our fellowship times. Like the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they met together. They broke bread in each other's homes. We start to mentor and disciple each other. Going through the time of life with each other. To, to you know, spend just real quality time in a, in a time in our lives when that's so void. And then we send it out to reciprocate it. So that others can know, hey, yeah, you might have been discouraged by this church or you might have had this thing go wrong over here in, in this part of your life. But you know what? I know of a church that does love God. It really does. It really loves people. Come connect with us and we'll do it. And this is the thing I want to leave us with. If you could have invested in Amazon when it was only worth $3, now it's worth $3,000, would you have done it? So if it was legitimate, like, I'm not saying like, hey, man, I got a great stock pick for you. No, I'm talking like legitimate. Here's Amazon, $3. How much would you invest into it? You would say, man, well, I got $100 that I can give to this. I'm going to buy it. So I'm going to basically have 33, 33 Amazon stocks for $3. What would you have right now times 33 by 3,000? Was it worth your 100? This is what the Bible says. Store up treasures in heaven. You are looking at the seed form of the vision. Please 
Do not let the days of small beginnings discourage you. You are here for a reason. Our greatest authors haven't even wrote their books yet. Our greatest preachers haven't even got their churches yet. We are just at the beginning. And then if you know the law of multiplication, it always starts off small like that snowball. But the more momentum, the flywheel effect as they call it, the more momentum, the faster it moves. And if we today go forward with this vision, I believe when we come back here next year, we'll see more disciples, more lives changed than we've ever seen. So let me end with some testimonies to encourage you. Band, altar workers, would you come? TJ, would you stand up for us, please? TJ was a young man that was saved through this ministry and is now a deacon. Cynthia was saved through this ministry and is now one of our strongest women in the church. Jessica and her brother, I used to pick up Augustine in my car and bring him to youth ministry when he was a teenager. Now he's married with a child, prospering, becoming a plumber. Uh, oh, excuse me, I, I know Andrew's the plumber, electrician. I always confuse you two guys. The bottom line is I can do none of it without hurting myself. Rudy, Rudy found a flyer to our church in an elevator and came with his friend, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, went to Bible college, now works at By the Hand, reaching the inner city, is married with a beautiful child. These are the testimonies of the lives that are changed. Tina, I knew Tina before she was saved. Tina has a scar on her face for having a bottle broke across her face. Tina used to be in gangs, and she was going through hard times as a single mom, and she heard about what God was doing in a church and went there and got saved, but she didn't really know how to connect, but she knew she needed Jesus. Someone brought her to the church, and she's never left. Now she's married, having a beautiful family. These are the kinds of testimonies that we're seeing. Pastor Birdo, a.k.a. the Aztec warrior, Pastor Bertel was led to the Lord by myself and another man at the back of the church as he came from a Catholic background, hungry for God, and he, he came with his friend, and he knew there was more. He accepted Jesus as we prayed for him. These are the testimonies that we have with Angel and his friend Josh. Griselda, can you raise your hand, please? Griselda, when I first uh, got to know her, she had her Facebook profile pic of her bartending on MySpace with her corona in her hand. That's how I met her. And she didn't like us very much because her sister Sue Ellen had gotten saved. But she respected God enough and her sister to come to an Easter service. And while the prophet was preaching, we had a guest speaker in the prophetic gift. He stopped and looked at her and told her life story. He said, this is your sister and this is, she's been praying for you to get saved. He didn't meet them. He didn't know, their, know them. And then he started talking about what she had been through, what God had planned for her. She never turned back. She's now a pastor, went to Bible college, a mother of three, married to the Aztec warrior. These are the testimonies that are happening throughout this church.
And then I, I, I don't want to, you know, say that you who have come from other churches are not special to us as well because God brought you here for a purpose and a plan. Nandri, would you raise up your hand? Nandri was a member of a church that I was friends with out in the suburbs. And once again, we never take people from other churches. We don't recruit in that way. We want you to leave the right way if you ever do. But we came to her church to help do evangelism. And you could just see it in her eyes. She was so hungry. So then she said, uh, you know, what's going on? Well, we're all going out to eat with the young adults. Come with us. And her pastor came. Well, eventually, you know, her pastor left. You know, a lot of these churches have high rotation things leave. You know, people come and go. But she was like, man, I remember those young adults. She's from Gurney. How long would it take you to come to the church? About an hour. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm not betraying. I'm not doing anything against my church now. I feel like I'm free to find a new church. She started driving an hour saying, I remember those folks. Those guys are on fire. I'm following them online. I want to come by and visit with them and be with them. She became a deacon, married to Augustine, now on fire for Jesus, making disciples, making disciples. I'm telling you. Humberto and Kirsten, would you raise your hands, please? Humberto and Kirsten are probably the most experienced church growers in our church. They are the fine wine tasters of the church. They've been fine wine tasting the church for, what, over 30, 40, 50 years? Almost, well, your, your husband, right? He's been saved almost his whole life. 30 plus years. And, and when they talk about the churches they've been around, I'm like, oh, you were in this one's church and that. But, but what happened? This one's church, the guy actually, at some point he sinned. And then this humongous church falls apart, sad. And then they went to another church and just quite wasn't right. And so when they came to Metro Praise, they were like, hmm. This reminds me of uh, 1984. David Wilkerson. Little Leonard Ravenhill, little notes of Leonard Ravenhill here. And, and they, they were skittish. You want to talk about being, this is no offense because they were like one of our oldest around us. You want to talk about being like that old horse that's been, been abused a little bit? It's like you try to ride, it's like, you know? And like you get around and you're like, now girl, now, you know? And it, it's because that, that horse has been around some things. Are you tracking with me? Horse has been hurt. Horse has been abused. And so I remember looking at Humberto one time, and I'm like, brother, you got to make a decision, man. Telling him, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know about you guys yet. I've been burned by your mentors, you know, guys who preach better than you, bigger church. I watched them go from here to here and back down, you know. And I was like, come on now. Let's saddle up again. Are you guys listening to me? And then and then they start galloping. They bring their children. They get involved in the youth ministry. And you want to talk about who's driving those vans. That's your brother right there. You want to talk about how make me cry right now. You want to talk about that person that says, I'll come here at 7 in the morning so young adults and families that don't have rides can get to this church. I'm your man. And we've never had to call him up, ask where he is. For the last, I don't know, seven years, it's not, I don't even think about the van ministry because it's been done. 
and the rewards that he's going to have when we get to heaven of all the young people, of all the families that he's helped, just humbly, hey, good morning, good to see you. Oh, you can't make it today, okay. And just week after week, faithfulness and the blessing that the Lord is doing here. And there are some of you that I know that are new and I don't know all of your stories. Sister with the glasses, what is your name again? Supa, Sulma, Sulma, thank you. S or Z, Zulma. See, Zulma came to us as a ball of fire. She's been saved for many, many years. There's no, you know, credit that this church gets for her fire. You know, God uses churches to set people on fire, believe it, but not for Zulma. Zulma's been on fire maybe longer than me or longer than I've been alive. I don't know her, her full story, but I got to meet Zulma. And one of the things that I noticed about her before I met her is that she was always giving prophetic words in our service because we make time for that. And I wanted to know her story. So I went up to Zuma because we, we got to meet her during this time of COVID. And uh, I asked her, what's your story? And she said, I used to go to this church, big church, nice church, right? Lovely church, worship, nice pastors. You know, nothing really that you would see as something wrong. But she said, but I would always come to the altars. And I would cry out. And I would weep before God, right? And then one time they said, this is too much. Because they wanted to keep changing the church. You know, this was a Pentecostal church where they said, we want to, you know, we want it to be done somewhere else or not here. And to the point where they basically asked you to leave or just to stop coming to the front. Which one was it? A little bit of both. Stop coming to the front. All we do at this church is I feel like it gets you to come, like beg you, come to the front, come to the front. Why aren't you coming to the front? There were times the ushers wouldn't even let you go back to your seat. That was during the, the pre-COVID time. I was so intense. I was like, I want everybody at the front praising Jesus. If, if you came and you're like, I just feel comfortable back here, we'd be like, come up to the front. <laughs> you're like, I'm glad you don't do that anymore, Pastor, because I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> but if you get to know Zuma, I, I pray that you do, because I feel like you'll sense that that's where she was supposed to be was at the front. And we're making those opportunities here at this church. Am I anything special? I mean, if you looked at Zuma and, or talked to Zuma and asked her, how many churches have you been to through all of your years that would meet at the front? This is not a big deal, right? But what happened in this generation? They stopped going after God. Now we're the guy getting people who want to come to the front. What in the world is, I didn't make up coming to the front. We come to the front, those of you who are new to this, we come to the front as an expression of us worshiping and crying out to God. It's not like it's more anointed here than it is where her chair is at. It's just that when she comes to the front, she's saying, I'm taking that step of faith to be seen by God and the church as I'm being a leader, to call out to the Lord, to hear a word, to speak on his behalf. And that's how I was raised. And now to be told, now to be told that pastors are saying, don't come to the front because we've got the decorations and we don't want you to make people think we're crazy. That's why I always say to you, listen, if you think we're crazy and you're looking for a normal church, there's a hundred out there that will welcome you and give you a $5 gift card to their uh, cafe. We're here to build a church of world changers, history makers, and roof breakers. If that's what you're looking for, I ask that you join us for another year. Amen. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Thank you for your patience. Lord, I thank you so much for this past year and all the testimonies that came. I thank you for all the new friends and faces that I got to meet this year. I pray, God, that you'll encourage us as we go forward. I pray that you'll be 
with our nation, with our first responders, with our uh, hospital workers and police officers and our military. Lord, we just ask you to bless this nation. We pray for uh, wisdom to come to our politicians. We pray for justice to reign in our courts. We pray for prosperity to come into our lives. Blessings upon our children. In the name of Jesus. A few moments before we go, would you thank him for this year and set your heart on the new year? If you don't know Jesus personally, you can come forward at any time. We'd love to pray for you first. We will dismiss in just a moment. Or if you've just had a tough year or just you need prayer, just come on up. Whatever it is, we love to pray for you. But let's just pray on our own, those who need to just focus in this year to Jesus. Lord, it's all about you. It was always about you. We're here to do the work of the ministry. We're here to be gracious. We don't, we don't think we're the only ones, Lord, so keep us humble. But help us to work as if we were the only ones, as if there was no one else to fill our spot. I pray we'll have peace in our homes. Those of you who have had tough years, either you've lost people you've loved or you've had tough difficulties, marriages, family, I just pray for peace in the home this year. I pray for marriages to be restored or for new beginnings to come with peace. I pray for your children to be guarded and to be protected. In the name of Jesus, I pray blessings upon us. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bless his people today to love him, to serve him, to love our neighbor, to make disciples. Few more moments, few more moments. Church, this is a time to reset everything. You know about New Year's resolutions and all those things, but don't make it, don't make it flippantly. Make a commitment to the Lord this year. God, I belong to you. I'm all yours. I'm all in. My life belongs to you, Jesus, whether by life or by death. In Jesus' name, amen.